As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast, And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. (laughs) We are doing episode two of Madeline McCann. And if you aren't on the Patreon, which is totally fine, you've gotten it just the very next day. So here Mm -hmm. you are. Yeah, this is like super unusual for us, but this one was supposed to just be a one-parter, but there's just, it's a big case. So we could not shut up enough to make it just one part. So we we had to do two. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do two. Sometimes you got to do two. However, while we're on the subject, if you're not a part of the Patreon, we have, just going to Google the bitch real Give quick. Give it a quick Google. I'm going to see how many bonus episodes there are. So it says... Become a patron to unlock 203 exclusive posts. That's a lot of posts. Now, some of those are... I think a, a couple of them are like... Not full episodes, but pretty much everything else is a full episode. So we've mm-hmm. got bonus episodes. We have murder mixtapes. We have doc jams. We've got all kinds of shit in there. So, and it's all ad free. All of it, even the regular feed. You get another copy of all of these episodes just without the ads. So, you know, check it out. Yes. And we just got the sweetest comment just yesterday on our post on Instagram from Megan Riley King. And she's so sweet. Uh, she said, they are 1000% my favorite podcast. They have a smoke in Patreon deal too. For $10 a month, you get an extra two episodes a week. I've never seen another podcast release so much extra content for that inexpensive price. I don't know. She said that cheap, but we don't like to use those kinds of words. <laughs> it's not, we're not cheap. I mean, well, well, you're, you look cheap. Exactly. And I, I pride myself on that. Okay. So, hey, girl. Exactly. And she said, and you get to hear about their personal lives too. They're so hilarious and I just can't get enough. 
So, oh my god, I so sweet. No, I was in love with that comment, and I'm also in love with you. And now we're dating. Yep, you complete us. That's <laughs> so sweet. Well, I uh, I appreciate the appreciation because we do work our little buns off. I know mine are almost and, non-existent. Well. That's called squats, but that's for another day. <laughs> Truth be told, Just they kidding. never were there, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Just kidding. You can have some of mine. Um, all right. So yeah, there are reasons. Yes. There are reasons. So should we get into it? Do you feel like we've covered we enough ground here? I think so. I think so. Okay. We should. So where we left off, um, pretty much nothing was happening, unfortunately. But Madeline had disappeared at this point, and the investigators are starting to canvas the area. They're getting some eyewitness tips. And remember, Jane Tanner, one of the top of seven, had seen a man carrying a young girl dressed in pink pajamas, which is what Madeline was also wearing, walking away from like the apartment blocks the night of Madeline's disappearance. And now we've got another sighting to corroborate that. On May 5th, another tourist, Martin Smith, reported having seen a white man carrying a little girl wearing peakish pajamas. The child was blonde and around Madeline's age, walking briskly around 10 p.m. on the night that she went missing. He thought that the man looked awkward, like he wasn't used to carrying children. We will get back to that. Smith was confident in his sighting and felt very clear about what he'd seen. The police felt very strongly that this was connected, particularly in tandem with the Jane Tanner sighting. What I'm imagining about the not used to being, like not used to carrying children is Rachel Green when she is mm-hmm. given Ben. And he's like, Ross is like, hold him like you would a football. And she's like, this is how I would hold a football. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's like, okay, that's, but that's wrong. Yes, you're wrong. Like just wrong. But and in the reenactments, like in the, um, the 60 Minutes Australia thing and I believe in the, I can't remember on the Netflix thing, but when they do the reenactment of the person walking away, I am assuming they're choosing this position because it's how it was described by the witnesses. But in this, in the reenactments, the man has his arms straight out in front of him and the child is like kind of draped across him on her back. So kind of like leaning like head leaning back, you know, feet hanging down. Well, I'm imagining like if somebody fell asleep on the couch and you were transporting them to the bed, Mm -hmm. like you would one arm underneath the knees, one arm underneath the back. Right, yeah. And even even the way that they did the reenactment, it was still more awkward than that. Like you could still do that in a way that, that you're kind of snuggling the person almost, you know what I mean? Like kind of, but this, the reenactment is not like that. And I just, I wonder why they chose to do the reenactment that way. Was it because that's how they described it? Because all we're hearing is he just looked uncomfortable. Right. And that, that's very vague. That could be so many things, but we will get back to that whole thing. As the police continued to question people around Praia Deluge, they ran into 34-year-old Robert Murat, 
Murat was living in his mother's house about 150 yards from the McCann's apartment. Okay, that's suspicious all by itself because what 34-year-old man is still living with his mom? <laughs> well, we, we get into that a little bit more too. But it seems like every 34-year-old man lives with his mom in Portugal. Portugal. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of still living with mom there. I don't I don't know why. But he decided like he sees all the police, he sees all the commotion, he goes over and he offered to help because he spoke fluent English, but also fluent Portuguese. Much like Colin Firth on Love Actually. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to check. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the McCanns don't speak Portuguese. So he's trying to help kind of be like a liaison between the two parties. He's like a translator. Mm -hmm. So police agreed. They're like, okay, yeah, that that would be helpful because, you know, there is this language barrier. But journalists started getting concerned with his behavior pretty immediately. They had almost an immediate distrust of him. And it is suspicious when somebody inserts themselves into an investigation. It has been, I mean, it it can be a common thing that Uh, somebody who's involved will do that. Literally a tale as old as time. They always come back and they're like, well, I want to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, they'll be involved in the searches for a missing person. Yeah, or, they want to relive it. Mm-hmm. And they also want to know, you know, if you're literally the translator for the police to the family, you're, you're you, you have some inside information. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They received a tip telling them that they should dive deeper into Marat, that he may not be the helpful translator that he appeared to be. Um, I'm just going to say that I called it immediately because... Again, he there's rat in his name, and I feel like that's not on accident. Oh my gosh. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Because I was thinking it was pronounced Marat, so I was just like, what's a rot? You know? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a small rodent. Sometimes a big <laughs> rodent. Vermin. It's <laughs> exactly. Vermin. Yeah. <laughs> In hopes of obtaining more concrete evidence against Marat, police asked Jane Tanner for her help. This is absolutely Ludicrous. bonkers, <laughs> batshit crazy. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Botched. It's a botched job. Bo- <laughs> yeah, this is botched. This is Frank Reynolds botched. Mm-hmm. So they decide they're not going to do a lineup because that's... That's ludicrous. Yeah. So what they do is they take Jane Tanner, because remember, she has she saw a man carrying a child that night. They're like, we wonder if it was Robert Murat. So what we're going to do is single him out completely. And we're going to ask you, is this the man you saw? So we're going to get in a white man unmarked. We're going to park on the street. And then you're going to watch him cross the street and tell us if that's the guy that you saw. We're also going like, to give him a child to carry, and you're going to tell us if this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so she's looking at him, and she's like, yep, yeah, that's a guy I saw for sure. And they're like, okay, done. So he becomes an official Arguido, which is suspect in Portuguese. And Oh my gosh, are you fluent in Portuguese? I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They immediately search his home. They seize evidence. They take photos. They're looking through his garden, his mother's garden, 
They dig it all up to see if there's remains. Ooh, I bet she was buried there. I bet she was. Uh, Computers, phones, videotapes, all kinds of stuff. So they bring him in for questioning. And they say, you know, they want to know where he was the night of the disappearance, particularly between the hours of 9 and 10 when she was believed to be taken. And he's like, well, I was home and I was in my mom's kitchen. We stayed up pretty much talking all night. And the police officer was like, that's so stupid. Who stays in their, in their mother's kitchen all night long? And they're like, that's obviously a lie. Nobody <laughs> talks to their mom that long. And he's like, well, I do. We're very close. And they're like, erroneous. That can't, that can't even possibly happen. Like, right. The end of it. But they never found any evidence that tied him to the case in any way, shape, or form. He was still a suspect to them, but they just could not find anything to tie him in at all. Yeah, and you know why? Because the heart wants what it wants. If you want someone to be a suspect that badly, and you have a eyewitness that's like really wanting to bust this case wide open and solve it, I feel like... Mm-hmm. It's not credible and it's irresponsible to play uh-huh. it the way that they played it. A hundred percent. Like if you're gonna do a lineup, you bring in multiple people. Well, you just and said you don't a lead lineup. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the uh, yeah. Yeah, you I don't just... like follow some random person and be like, look how weird he is. Do you feel like he's weird too? I feel like he's weird. Yeah. This we're only going to give you one option. Yes or no? Is this the guy? And it's like you're. I just I can't even. I I just can't even. Sixteen days after Madeline's disappearance, Jerry and Kate remain frustrated with the lack of movement in the search for their daughter, fearing the story would lose steam and fall to the back of people's minds. The couple started Madeline's Fund to get donations in order to keep the investigation moving. They created a website where people could post clues, sightings, or information. And apparently, I mean, that website, and this is 2007, so Mm -hmm. it's not like going on to like Wix or Squarespace and putting up a website. Like it was not easy to build a website at that time, but they did. And it got like 6 million hits or something the first day. I mean, this was such a huge story all over the entire world. This was not just... In Britain, this was not just in Portugal, this was everywhere. So they're getting sightings from everywhere. Everybody thinks that they are seeing this little girl. And they did have one sighting in Morocco. And people, the investigators gave a little more weight to this because you could get to Marrakesh, which was the city that the sighting was in, pretty easily from Portugal. They kind of dismissed or put at the bottom of the list sightings from places like Australia, you know, that would be mm-hmm. much more difficult to get to. But we're talking about somewhere that's very easily accessed. So they're like, okay, let's check that out. So this couple at a gas station, they were on holiday in Morocco. They see a little girl with a man that looks similar to Madeline. They said she had green eyes and blonde hair. And this is a week after she disappeared. And the woman who thought that she saw her said she had a little sad look on her face and she heard the little girl ask the man, can we see mommy now? So the police go to this gas station, but of course, by the time they get there, the security footage had been taped over. What is the point of having security footage 
if you're just going to turn around and tape over it. It's That's like, what I... Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of whenever I used to tape the NSYNC Disney Channel concert mm-hmm. and be like, do not tape over this. And then boom, it gets taped over by like, I don't even know what. And it, then it's gone to ever. Gone to ever. Yeah. What is the point of having them if you're not going to keep it like... The majority of the time, I don't know, probably at every single gas station, if you edit it up, like 99.9% of the time, they don't need it. You know, nobody ever comes back for it. But but that's why you have it, because sometimes you do need it. Exactly. Otherwise, like, what it, is the point of filming it? Yeah. Like, and if you're going to tape over it, like every 24 hours or even every like week or whatever, it's like a lot of times, you know investigate I mean investigations just take longer than that so mm-hmm. it's yeah it's just so frustrating there has to be a better way but I understand back in 2007 or whenever this happened sure yeah these are physical videotapes yes I and guess what are you supposed to do with all these tapes yeah I get it but it's still it's it's frustrating when you yeah are learning about well, it because it's literally I can't think of a case I'm sure that we've covered a case where security footage has still been there I just can't think of one it's way more common for them to be like the cameras weren't working or yeah I feel like 90% of the time 99% of the time it's like when we do have access to surveillance video it's not there or the camera didn't work exactly I wonder how mad the Portuguese police were knowing that the McCanns were like taking this into their own hands because they're very like keeping everything close to the vest type of thing. So I wonder mm-hmm. if they were like, oh, okay, this is not, you guys need to hush. We are doing yeah. our jobs over here. Oh, I'm sure. On June 10th, Kate and Jerry head to Morocco in hopes of finding Madeline, knowing that a young girl with light eyes, light hair, and fair skin would stand out there. But unfortunately, they never found anything to not not necessarily corroborate. I'm sure that woman, that couple saw a little girl that looked like Madeline, but they never found any evidence that Madeline was in Morocco. So police are just getting nowhere. Every lead is kind of turning out to be a dead end. And they kind of go back to the beginning, like Hillary Duff style. Sure, sure, sure. And they think about Kate's statement about the condition of the window when she checked the room and Jane Tanner's sighting. So now they're thinking, because remember, she said the window was wide open and they're saying, no, it wasn't open. And the bed looked like nobody had slept in it and her blanket was folded and like all these things. So now they're starting to ask, was Madeline alive when she left that apartment? And was her family involved? Now, why they didn't start there? I mean, you definitely need to, you don't want to lose time by focusing on the family when a child is missing. But usually investigations start as, you know, close to home and then they branch out. It's interesting that, I don't know, the the whole thing just seems jumbled. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. They're all over the place. So they bring dogs in, police dogs, and these are British police dogs. Eddie and Keela were both Springer Spaniels that had a very high success rate in detecting blood and human remains. So Eddie was the cadaver dog, and he is supposed to only alert to the scent of human remains. 
Keela is a blood dog. She only alerts to even a faint scent of human blood. They bring them to apartment 5A. They let Eddie in first, and he just they just let him go where he's going to go. He alerted on a wardrobe in Jerry and Kate's room, which is where they had kept just like their luggage, essentially. He also alerted on the floor behind a sofa and on the curtains on the window behind the sofa. So after he does his thing, they get him out and then they let Keela in and same thing, just let her, you know, wherever her little sniffer takes her, basically. (laughs) She showed great interest in the area behind the couch. They're both hitting on that area. Then they bring them into an underground car park. They lined up 10 cars. So this is a lineup. Yeah, this is in fact a lineup. So they line up 10 cars. The dogs both hit on only one car, and it was the car that the McCanns had rented 25 days after Madeline disappeared. Eddie, which is the cadaver dog, alerted to the lower part of the driver's door. Keela, who was brought in the following day, alerted to the same vehicle. The car was thoroughly searched, and samples from both the car and the apartment were sent out for forensic testing. The police decide that this means Madeline died inside apartment 5A. Her body was transported in that rental vehicle. And now Kate and Jerry are no longer viewed as this grieving grieving family. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question. Because I got a few. Where is it proposed that they kept her body for 25 days? That's what I'm saying. Where in the world are they thinking that it was? Because they didn't have the rental car yet. Exactly. Maybe under and, the bush that they thought she was sleeping under? Like, where where would they have kept her? That's just goddamn And everybody was in and out of that apartment. Like, yeah, if if they were hiding her body somewhere in there, they would have found it. And not to be, you know, super morbid, but 25 days? That's not going to be an easy transport and it's not in the summer going to smell pleasant right i mean you're talking about 25 days of yeah decomp Mm -hmm. and especially if you're outside yeah i just i i don't get it i don't buy it but i feel like i don't want to take a shot at the portuguese police but they are grasping at straws so badly that it's like I don't know. I would not be surprised if they were like, well, it must have been a werewolf. Like, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And look, like, I I know that police dogs or cadaver dogs can be helpful in investigations, but I do not, if that's the only evidence that you have, then that's a wash. Like, because they hit on this stuff, they send it out for testing, but none of it comes back as the evidence they're hoping to find. So you can't use that as your only like, okay, well, then they did it. Right. You have to have evidence to back that up. Exactly. And and there's not any. So it just, it's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it's not just the police that are suspicious of them. Now the public is turning on them. Well, and like you said, this is so who killed little Gregory. Yes. So much. Like... It's, it follows almost the exact same pattern. It's, it's insane. And it, it, I wonder, I think that I'm sure that the Portuguese police were like, boom, nailed it. We totally cracked this case. We are amazing. But Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of that, I don't know. It seems like these things go hand in hand because in the media, it's like a circus, right? They've got the best stories to run now. 
Mm-hmm. Oh. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like in Who Killed Little Gregory when the one journalist was like, wouldn't it be so great if it turned out to be the mom that killed him? Like how many newspapers would we sell? Like literally, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. It, that's horrific to think that way. I like know. this is a human life. These are humans that are living this, that have lost their child. Ugh, I just well, can't. And I'm thinking about when, because we're covering the double you know right now. And when we talked about episode three last week, and you said this would be different if it was a work of fiction. You can sensationalize a story like that. That is fine. But these are actual mm-hmm. people with actual lives. And this is a little mm-hmm. girl who is missing. Yes. Yeah. And these are people living a nightmare. Exactly. It, yeah. It's horrible. So Aberal is like, well, now that I think about it, the McCanns have been odd since day one. Their behavior of course, doesn't yes, match. Of course. Mm-hmm. I cannot. <laughs> the Portuguese police, I know, said that they were initially suspicious due to Kate's actions as soon as she found that her daughter had disappeared. So she runs back to the tapas restaurant saying they've taken her. And he's like, why would you say they instead of someone has taken her? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, because if you don't know who, you would say they, right? Yeah. Because you don't know he or she, like well, you would okay. say they. But it, contrary-wise, if she had said someone's taken her, like why, why wouldn't you suspect that it was a group of people? Clearly, you've done it. Yeah, or why I'm I'm surprised that they're not saying why are you automatically saying that she's been abducted? Like you're trying to push your own story mm-hmm. on us or whatever, exactly. you know? And he just kept saying, you know, there's no evidence that pointed to a kidnapping. Again, there's no forced entry, you know, all these things. And I keep coming back to, well, no fucking shit. The door was unlocked. Like Exactly. Why do we have to keep saying that? Another concern the police had were that the twins had slept through whatever had happened that evening. So, you know, because the twins are in the same room, they are asleep. Somebody comes in and takes only Madeline. And then, this was a little strange to me, once the investigators got there, and, you know, they had, first it was the, was it GNR? I forget the... Yes, it was GNR. Okay, acronym now. So first the GNR and then the PJ and the kids are sleeping through all of that. So there's like tons and tons of people moving in and out. They're definitely going in the bedroom and looking in there. And he says the kids are still asleep through this. That does seem a little strange. I mean, kids can sleep pretty fucking hard though. Like there's definitely times that I have thought, you know, one or both of my kids are going to wake up like are smoke alarm has, you know, does that chirping thing in the middle of the night and it's been right outside their bedroom. They don't wake up for that. Police sirens, fireworks on the 4th of July. Like there are things that the kids will just sleep through. Well, Terrell, do you happen to remember a little thing I like to call the tornado that hit our house and I slept through the entire thing and had to be woken up and I don't even remember. I have no recollection of it at all because somebody had to carry me to where we were going to safety and I was like, do you guys not realize that I am sleeping right now? Yeah, and it literally sounded like a freight train ran through the middle of our house and a tree, a hundred-year-old oak tree, was laying on top of our house. And Tori was like, huh? 
Uh, yeah. Like totally she was totally dead asleep. <laughs> slept through the entire yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, kids can sleep pretty hard. It, it's, Which is, I do, I feel like that's, it's really unfortunate because I used to sleep great and now I wake up when I hear like someone breathing in another room. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, your 30s are wild, man. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cause now you have to get up and pee at least twice a night and it's a whole thing. I know. But I mean, I, I do I do agree that it is a little strange that that many people were in and out. I mean, I would think they're turning the light on even and the kids are just like sound asleep. I don't know. So the police are like, okay, well, did you medicate them? Because how were they sleeping this hard through all this? But okay, this is not the first night that the McCanns had been going in and out with the families, right? This isn't the first night that they got there where they were like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's all check in on each other's families. So kids can are pretty resilient. I'm sure they can get used to a lot of things. Yeah, but I, I also think like when the parents are coming in to check on them, they're being quiet and, you know, like I would think the investigators are not being quiet. They're coming in and just like talking in a regular. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was talking specifically about the, the parents and things like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when they come in and out, I mean, they're, you know, they're probably like tiptoeing and trying to, they don't want to wake them up because they don't want right. to ruin their fun. But in Kate's second statement, remember she said, you know, we always made sure to keep the medications out of the children's reach. One of the medications that they had with them was Calpol, which is apparently just another brand name for like Tylenol here. Mm. They said though, Calpol is a medication used often in Britain for children when they're being fussy. It's directed towards aches and pains, but many parents reportedly give it to help soothe children and help them sleep. So at first I thought it was like, I mean, I don't know it because they they kept saying that you you could give it to your kid to help them sleep, but I think the reason it helps them sleep is because, like, say they're teething and they're fussy and they're hurting, and then you give them a dose of Tylenol, Motrin, Calpol, whatever it is. I know in the UK, it's paracetamol is also Tylenol or Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Like, it's and I'm probably saying that wrong, but. But it's the equivalent of acetaminophen here or something, right? Yes. And yeah, they'll sleep a little bit better because it's helping relieve some of that pain or fever or whatever it is. So they were thinking, now here's the thing. If you give a kid Tylenol, that's not going to knock them unconscious. Mm-mm. Like, unless it's a Tylenol PM. Right, which they do not make for children. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the way that they're talking about this is you've medicated your kid, like Casey Anthony is oh talking God, about Zanny the nanny. Fucking bring her up. I know, I know. But how could you not? Like, I know it's kind of, it's obvious. Yeah. And the sun is shining and it's a beautiful day and she is pissing me right the fuck off. Like, <laughs> true. it's just every day. But, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Tylenol. That's not what Tylenol does. It, it doesn't make you overwhelmingly sleepy. Right. It's, it's not Benadryl. It's not Xanax. It's not, you know, I don't know. Madeline's grandfather, though, had said once in an, in a television interview that Kate used to give this medication to the twins and Madeline to help them sleep. But again, I feel like there's got to be some context around that because I have certainly given my children Tylenol before bed when they've been teething mm-hmm. or when they've been sick and they've, you know, got a fever or whatever. Like, yeah, I'll give them a dose of Tylenol before bed because I know it will help them sleep because that way they're not 
you know, why why make your kid be in pain if they don't have to be? Right. And those kids are two and three years old. Yeah, they've they've been through teething. So yeah, I'm sure she has given them Tylenol before bed. But Amaral comes up with his own theory. Naturally. And he says, uh-huh. And he's like, I know exactly what happened. Jerry runs into this guy, right? Jeremy Wilkins, when he's going to check on the kids. And they're outside talking for a few minutes. And Madeline wakes up and she hears this. And she climbs up on the back of the couch to look out the window to see her dad. She slips and falls. She falls behind the couch. She hits her head and she's dead. And so Jerry comes in the house and he's like, oh shit, she's fallen. We're going to get in trouble for this. So I'm going to hide her body for now. And then later when they rented the car, they moved it to the rental car and then went and buried her somewhere or dumped her body. And that when Kate came, Kate's in on it too, because when she came to check on the kids at the time that she said Madeline's gone, she was just acting because she already knew this. And I'm like, okay. When did Jerry tell her? Mm -hmm. They're all together. But then they're like, well, they all covered up for them. That is the most insane theory I've ever heard. And also, like, okay, where did the blood go? If she fell and hit her head, there would be blood on the floor, right? Unless Jerry went ahead and cleaned that up. Is that what, is that what they're saying? Right. And did they find evidence of blood being cleaned up? No. Did they find, you know, they didn't walk in and the apartment smelled like bleach. They didn't walk in and there's wet spots everywhere from where something's been cleaned up. Right. They Rags didn't walk in, in and find, yeah, well, exactly. How I do not, okay. I do not understand how parents or people who are close to, in this situation, like little Gregory, this, how Kate and Jerry don't flip the fuck out. Because if somebody accuses me of something very small, like, I don't even know what. Like, if somebody's like, oh, well, you lied about what, what you were doing last night. I don't even know. I, I have no no example because I am a truth teller and people don't accuse me of things. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you were wrongly accused of something, like something even small, I'm, I know I would get pissed because I'm like, oh, no, the hell I did not. Or no, the hell I would, you know. Right, yeah. This is something huge. The police are accusing this family, these parents, of killing or covering up their daughter's accidental death yeah. and they're responsible for it in some way. I don't know how they yeah. have not gone ape shit. I know. And now you're taking resources away from finding the person that took your daughter. Like, mm -hmm. stop wasting time. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And at this point, they're the center of the investigation. Right. So they're like not even looking into other options. They're like, well, we got it. We don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're honing in on this and they bring Kate and Jerry in for questioning. Kate comes in first and she has her lawyer. And well, and they told them, they said, you need to come to the police station and you need to bring your lawyer. They told them to do that. <laughs> but then so they're Kate like, gets oh, there first. how suspicious. She's got a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. So Kate gets there first. She's interrogated for almost 11 hours. And finally, her lawyer is like, stop answering them. Don't just don't say anything anymore. Why did and he so let she her does. do that for eleven hours? I could, I cannot believe that. Yeah, I don't know. So she stops answering questions, and they say, "Look at how suspicious this is. You're <laughs> impeding the investigation. Uh, You're not answering our questions. Like, why would you stay silent if you really don't have any reason to hide 
anything, you know? Jerry goes in for his interview. He denies all of the accusations and he answered all the questions. He didn't, he didn't, you know, stop. stop. But I mean, after yeah. 11 hours, my God. Like, well, that's the thing though. If somebody is accusing you of doing something that you obviously, or you did not do, and they are like, no, come on, I'm going to break them down. And they're like, okay, well, I'm going to ask you questions until you agree that this is, this is something that you did for 11 yeah. hours. That's ridiculous. And then you're finally like, okay, this I've had enough of this. I'm obviously not going to agree with you. We need to cut it short. And like, oh, see, yeah, only a guilty person would say that they yes. don't want to do this anymore. Right. And I remember when this case was going on, I remember hearing about it in the news and I remember hearing that how guilty they, they were. brought the well, yeah, because they brought the parents in. And I remember the narrative at that time being, and the parents refused to answer any questions. <laughs> or the parents refused to answer questions. And I remember thinking they did something. Like I thought they were I felt suspicious of them too, because we don't have the context of she was questioned for 11 hours until she finally said, I'm not going to answer your questions anymore. Mm -hmm. This is not somebody who's not trying to help. It's somebody who is realizing... Exhausted by yeah. trying to defend herself against something that she did not do. Yeah, and realizing that the police are just not accepting her answers. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, Amanda Knox when she's just like, you know, I mean... Anybody who's ever given a false confession, anybody who's been railroaded by investigators, that they all say the same thing. I realized that they weren't going to accept my answer. And, and to put an I end mean, to it, sometimes you feel like the only option you have is to be like, okay, yeah, it happened. That's what I did. Yeah, exactly. And and I wonder what would have happened had the lawyer not been with her. Right, exactly. Like, again, reminded of making a murderer. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you don't have a lawyer, if you have a slightly lower IQ, if you don't have the mental capacity to understand what is happening, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it is so exploitative. And I feel like, again, it's very irresponsible, but this kind of stuff, every case that we cover almost, I'm like, I don't believe a word the news says anymore. I do not... Where who do you turn to to get the facts? I don't know what to do now. I know because it's all about ratings and it's all about selling, you know, papers or whatever it is, like it just, yeah, you can't trust it. It's sad. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they asked Jerry about the rental car. Why are the blood dogs, why are the cadaver dogs hitting on this car? And he's like, well, I I don't know. know. Yeah. He's like, we bought, I mean, we bought meat, you know, from the grocery store there and some of the like, you know, blood from the meat leaked out. And we also had dirty diapers back there from like, you know, you change your kid's diaper on the go, you just stick it in the back of the car and then you freaking forget about it for a week every single time. You're like, as soon as you put it back there, you're like, I got to remember to throw that away as soon as I get back home. Totally going to remember that. And then like three weeks goes by and you're like, what the hell is that smell? And it's your dirty diaper that you forgot. So, Mm -hmm. and they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, the dogs don't hit on dirty diapers. The dogs don't hit on pork blood they hit on human blood. So there's absolutely no possible way. And also there's no possible way the dogs are picking up another scent. Like for me, they've been in the apartment. They know that family's scent. They know Madeline's scent. They know Kate and Jerry's scent. They know the scent of the children. Like they've been in the apartment. So they know that that family smell. Doesn't it make sense that they would hit on 
that family's car because it's a familiar scent to them. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And also, I feel like I I am not calling into question the amazing things that a, a blood dog or the cadaver dogs can do. Like, that's amazing what they can do. They have some good little sniffers. However, how does one smell the difference between human and pork blood? I feel like blood is blood. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that works. There's got to be some kind of a a science there. Yeah, I'm sure. Please don't come for us if the answer (laughs) is super obvious. We just don't know. But it's like, you know, we're just trying to argue all the points here. But just don't, don't. If Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about the dogs is, you know, I, I we're both huge animal lovers and we think they're amazing, but there is a margin of error there. They're not 100% correct 100% of the time. They're living and beings that make can make mistakes. Absolutely. And again, this is not going to carry the same weight as a fingerprint in blood or tons of blood spatter in the apartment, you know? Like, those are two very different things. I feel like it's a hunch. It's a strong hunch, but it's a hunch. Yeah. So they take this and they say, Kate and Jerry are now our guidos. Yeah. Lock them up, throw away the key. Clearly they did it. Yeah. And, you know, friends and family are like, they're such a loving couple. They love their kids. They're such great parents. Like... Why Why only Madeline? They have two other kids. Yeah, that doesn't make sense either. Why just the one child? I mean, the, the whole thing just doesn't check out to me because I don't, I do not believe the whole like, I mean, I don't believe any of it. We'll just move on. I could go into this all day long. I don't believe it. Yeah. So this is when the onset of worldwide blame comes down on the McCanns. Because again, you know, we talked about this is not just a local case. This is the entire world. And so now the entire world is against them. And they don't believe them and they no longer support them. The press crucified the couple for leaving their children in an unlocked apartment while they went to dinner when the resort offered a child watch service for free. That is not ideal. But what the McCann said was the reason that they didn't bring them back to the kids' club during their dinner time was that the, it was the kids' bedtime. Yeah, they were sleeping. I get that. Yeah. I again, I think that, you know, you could argue things could have been done differently. You could, you, I mean, you could do that with anything. I wouldn't have done that. Well, okay, but this is what happened. Doesn't make them bad parents. And also, I think that is, there has got to be some, they have to have, have had, and with Amanda Knox, whoever is in these huge worldwide stories, they, they've got to go through some in extensive therapy. Mm-hmm. for having to deal yeah. with the onslaught of the world hating them. Sure. And look, they they did make a bad decision by leaving the apartments unlocked, leaving all of their kids in there. The other couples that traveled with them are very lucky that it wasn't their child. I am sure that Kate and Jerry beat themselves up every single day and wish that they had done anything other than that. Like they made a they made a mistake. It was a tragic mistake. It was a huge mistake. It was a, a lapse of judgment or whatever you want to say. They let their guard down. 
but I'm sure that they, I mean, they are paying for that mistake the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. They, they are receiving a life sentence for that. And I guarantee every single day they wish that they had not made that choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have to show some grace to other people. There's so many times that, you know, tragic stuff happens and the world descends on people, especially now with social media. Why did you do that? Why did you, you know, like you can't tell me that you've never made a mistake. It's just, exactly. we have and, to, we have to look at things and say we're human. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like in a time of crisis and a time of tragedy, what people don't need is a million other juries trying them when yeah. they are living it. Like you don't need that. That's just cruel. Yeah. And if we looked at, I mean, <laughs> parenthood is a thing that you're never going to get right anyway. It doesn't come with a handbook, right? I mean, as far as I know. Right. It, yeah, no, I wish it did. It's literally like, I remember when I was in the hospital right after we had Ben, which is our first kid. I was like, this is literally like the only thing that you don't have to have like a prerequisite for and you just get to do it and nobody says you can't. Like nobody is like, are you qualified for this? (laughs) Like they just give you your child and say best wishes and they don't give you a manual and they don't tell you what to do. You just figure it out. Like it's really difficult, but no matter what choices you make as a parent, Somebody is going to tell you that it's the wrong choice. Somebody mm-hmm. knows better. If you breastfeed, somebody's going to tell you that you shouldn't. If you bottle feed, somebody's going to tell you that you shouldn't. There are so much shaming out there of parents, and it's absolutely ridiculous. These parents were not abusive. They made they made a mistake. I just if we put every single parent under a magnifying glass, I'm sure that you know people would look at me and say, I mean, I've already had people give me shit for the fact that I work from home and I still have my kids in an in-home daycare that I don't keep my kids home with me. Like, you know, I've been shamed for that. My kids have their own tablets. They don't have them 24-7, but I'm sure that people would say I let my kids have too much screen time. You know, there's just, there's all kinds of stuff and people just crucify you for everything. It's like, you know, again, let's let's give each other some grit. There's there's just so much pressure on parents already, I feel like. And I think we continue to feel a lot of pressure. And I mean, anxiety is through the roof these days. It's just, it's all, it all is hand in hand to me. Yes, I agree 100%. I'm not a parent, but I cannot imagine what that's like. And I feel like we live in a society where you cannot agree to disagree. I think that it's just like, mind your own business. I don't know, you know, like yeah. everybody's doing the best yeah. that they can, hopefully. Like, let's just, let's just give mm-hmm. them that. Right. Yeah. We said earlier that Kate and Jerry were like, we're not leaving Portugal until we find Madeline. Like, we're not leaving Portugal without our daughter. But at this point, they started to fear for their safety. They started to fear for their children's safety because everybody was was coming down on them, you know, everybody had turned on them. So they ended up going back to England. And they also thought they'd end up being imprisoned if they stayed there. Mm -hmm. And then what would they do? You know, their two children are still there. So everybody, this this just made them look worse, right? People are saying, well, they said they weren't going to leave without her. Now look, they're leaving without her. They, They must know that she's 
they must know where she is or that she's not coming back or, you know, whatever. And I'm sure that that was the most difficult decision for them because if your child is going to come back, where is she going to come back? You know, like you don't want her to be there and you not be there. Right. But at this point, it's just getting, it's too much of a pressure cooker. And they just, they had to go back. And the Portuguese police and the media created this pressure cooker and this perfect storm. And then they blamed the McCanns for it. Yeah. Yeah. They televised the whole thing. I mean, watching them try to just get in their car to drive to the airport is... I felt claustrophobic watching it. There's so many people. It's insane. And then when they get back home, they're getting off of the airplane and they're walking down. And this is televised as well. Both of the kids apparently fell asleep on the plane ride, which... I'm sure they did. That's what happens. But Jerry walks off of the plane. He's like exiting. He's carrying one of the children who was asleep. And so Martin Smith, the person who had seen a guy, you know, walking away, carrying a child in a very uncomfortable way the night of the abduction disappearance, sees this on the news. And he says, oh my God. That's who I saw carrying the child away because he's carrying the child exactly the same way that I saw the man carrying the child that night. And I looked at that and said, he's carrying his child exactly like every single parent who gets their child out of out of bed. Like, you know, if we go on a trip or whatever and we're going to leave at like two in the morning so that we don't have to drive eight hours with the kids in the car during the day, I pick, we each take one of the kids they're asleep. We carry them exactly like that to the car. And you put them in the car and they fall back asleep. If you get home from something and the kid falls asleep in the car and you're going to bring them into the house, that's how you're going to hold them. Their head is on your shoulder, your chest, and you're, you know, you've got your arms like kind of under their little bums and you're holding. That's how a parent holds a sleeping child. That does not look uncomfortable to me. That looks like how every parent carries a sleeping child. Yeah, and they're like dead weight and they're just limp in your arms and you're just holding them until you can get them somewhere else. I I, I know exactly the the stance that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he said, he said, I'm 70% sure, 70 plus percent sure that the person that I saw carrying a child that night was Jerry McCann. Okay, well, that to me, 70% is not 100. And also we have this mob pitchfork, let's, crucify them mentality, like Mm -hmm. that passions are high, that does not check out. No, thank you. Mm -mm. After forensic results were received from the test samples sent out from apartment 5A in the McCann's rental car, while they did say Madeline's DNA was present, there was nothing to suggest that she was killed in the apartment or transported in the vehicle. And her DNA is likely present because her stuff is there. Yeah. It's not unheard of for somebody who's staying in a place to leave DNA. Exactly. But Amaral had built his theory beginning with the cadaver and blood dog, but the forensic evidence didn't support it. And so he's pretty disappointed. He's he's pissed, honestly, because he really thought that the this was going to come back and there was going to be blood in that car and it was going to be Madeline's blood. And that didn't happen. So he was looking for that forensic evidence again. 
he's not he's not following where the evidence leads him. He's he is trying it to, to make yes, trying to make that evidence fit what he already believes is the narrative, mm-hmm. which is the big fat opposite way you're supposed to do it. Well, it's irresponsible, and I don't think that somebody who who can't who's so close minded and can't think outside of their egos should be in a position like this. Exactly. He ends up doing an, a phone interview with a British journalist and because he was just so frustrated and I don't know, he ended up slamming the British police that were there assisting him or them in the investigation and basically said that all they were doing was like pandering to the McCanns. They were doing just whatever they wanted. They're protecting them. They're not even trying to find the truth. They don't know what they're doing. All the stuff. Does he does he hear the hypocrisy? <laughs> yeah. So the interview was published and the public did not like that. And certainly the British public did not like that. They didn't appreciate it. And the British police did not appreciate it. So the Portuguese police were like, all right, you're off the case, dude. Like, you're done. We're not, we're not gonna deal with this kind of a press storm against us. Do you think that Amaral at this time said, I'm a peacock, you gotta let me fly on this one? <laughs> I think he did. I mean, I don't know if he did a desk pop though, and that's the problem. That is the problem. You got really gonna want to get that desk pop in to show your dominance on the case. Yeah, and I don't think that he did that. And so I can see why they were like, I mean, if you're not even going to do a desk pop, then you're not committed. <laughs> True. Like, totally. So now that Amaral is off the case, he's kind of the lead, the person leading the charge against the McCanns. And so now they're going to bring in a new investigator, Paolo Ribello. He's a senior Portuguese police officer. And his view was more, let's see where the evidence takes us. Ooh. It's a bold, Mm -hmm. bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Yeah. And so now the pressure is off the McCann's because he's looking into everything. He starts over from square one and he's like, I really don't know why they were named Arguido. They shouldn't have been. I'm not sure that this is what should have been going on at all. But he ended up closing the case in July of 2008 because he said there was no new evidence. He he just said, we don't have anywhere to go with it, so we have to close it. And in, in response to questions and statements about him deciding to close the case, he said, my conscience is clean. There wasn't anything else we could have done. And so he's just like, finished. So the McCanns and Robert Murat are no longer considered suspects. And surely Kate and Jerry are like, can breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, we're not suspected anymore, but they've closed the case. Like, so closing the case means it's 100% closed. It doesn't mean that it's cold. Right. And so they're like, nobody's looking for our daughter. Like, who's going to look for her? Mm -hmm. So they continue their search. Without the assistance of law enforcement, they do everything that they can. They begged and pressured the British government to reopen the case. They didn't respond. In 2011, Kate published a book called Madeline. And this is her personal account of the night that her daughter disappeared and how she perceived the investigation, you know, her experience of the investigation. I would call that more like a memoir, right? Yeah, I would think so. And 
The book ends with her asking British citizens to reach out to politicians to open a brand new investigation into the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. And it works. Prime Minister Cameron announced that there would be an independent investigation opened into what happened to Madeline. So Operation Grange was formed five years after the disappearance of Madeline McCann. The Metropolitan Police are likened to the FBI in the United States. They also released an age progress photo of what Madeline might look like as she approached her ninth birthday. That's so sad. It's just like, oh my God, it's so sad. Nine. Ugh. The McCanns were, they felt hopeful and they were very, I think they were reinvigorated, you know, like, okay, you guys are actually doing, doing some work. Like we see that you're making progress. Releasing an age progress photo is so helpful because we're not looking for a three-year-old anymore. That's not helpful. So putting this information out at least gives people something to look for. It reminds me of Sleeping Beauty. Why? Hello. When Maleficent is looking for Aurora or Briar Rose and they all of her little like minions are like, yeah, we've oh, looked yeah, in every <laughs> cradle. And she's like, cradle? This was 15 years ago. Like she is now a teenager, you dumb bitches. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. I was like, they didn't have age progressed photos since they should have because then those little idiots could have found the age progressed person. Right. Yeah. Maleficent was like, where is the age progression technology? (laughs) Well, she was magic. She could have created it. I mean, you would think. She's just being lazy. I know. That's exactly what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Lazy bitch. It's not your fault that you don't watch Sleeping Beauty all the time and have memorized it like I have. I guess that's true. So Operation Grange is going to do the same thing. They're going to Hillary Duff it back to the beginning. Start all over. What are we, what do we have? What do we not have? And they found errors beginning from the moment that the police arrived on scene to apartment 5A. I'm sure that the the British investigators are like, oh, fucking perfect. That's exactly what we were hoping for. I was hoping you wouldn't secure the crime scene. Fantastic. Yes. They, like, they never secured the apartment. People were just walking in and out, pulling shit out of everywhere. Just evidence was totally lost or destroyed in, in that process. The cell phone records of calls in the immediate area were never checked. Certain people of interest were never investigated. There were artist renditions of eyewitness accounts that were never released to the public. And they're like, why would you not have released all of this? Like, the people, if you don't get the sketch out to the people, then the people can't tell you if they know somebody that looks like that. Why would you keep that close? Well, and not but why would it. you why would you release a I would an eyewitness sketch if it didn't look like Jerry? That's not gonna help the case. Mm, that's a very uh interesting point. I think you're probably onto something there. Just saying. And here here's the thing, like with eyewitness testimony too. There's a guy named Scott Fraser. He is a forensic psychologist. He's a a, a TED. TED speaker, I guess. Like Like TED Talks. Yeah, he has TED Talks. And he talks about, he studies eyewitness testimony. He studies 
the human memory. And in his one of his TED Talks, I'll link to it, he says, first of all, we have all the statistic analyses from the Innocence Project work where we know that we have 250, 280 documented cases now where people have been wrongfully convicted and subsequently exonerated, some from death row, on the basis of later DNA analysis. And you know that over three quarters of all of those cases of exoneration involved only eyewitness identification testimony during the trial that convicted them. We know that eyewitness identifications are fallible. Under the best of observation conditions, the absolute best, we only detect, encode, and store in our brains bits and pieces of the entire experience in front of us, and they're stored in different parts of the brain. So now when it's important for us to be able to recall what it was that we experienced, we have an incomplete or partial store. And what happens? Below awareness with no requirement for any kind of motivation of motivated processing, the brain fills in information that was not there, not originally stored from inference, from speculation, from sources of information that came to you as the observer after the observation. But it happens without awareness such that you don't you're not even cognizant of it occurring. It's called reconstructed memories. So what he's saying is, and in this situation, Martin Smith and Jane Tanner, if they, mostly I would say Martin Smith, because Jane Tanner certainly knew that the person she was looking at was not Jerry McCann. But Martin Smith didn't purposely set out to frame Jerry McCann. But because... That wasn't, he didn't think anything of it really at the time, other than that is kind of like an awkward way to carry a kid. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that big of a deal for him. And then later, when he has to give all this information and he's he's got to give a sketch artist, like, what does his nose look like? What does his eyes look like? You know, all this stuff. Who was it? Do you recognize him? Then later, he sees Jerry McCann and he's seen all this news coverage of the McCanns and all this stuff. His brain filled that in. It's how your brain works. Like if there's if there's gaps, your brain wants to complete that. They want to it wants to close the loop. Well, so I mean, it's the exact same thing as when you're a little kid and you've heard stories about yourself and you're like, I remember that. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. People have told you that. Exactly. And now you believe that it's a memory that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After sifting through the evidence, uh, Operation Grange made an announcement. So their their kind of lead inspector was Andrew Redwood. And he said they'd identified 38 different persons of interest from a number of European countries. And he stated that there is no clear definitive proof that Madeline McCann is dead. The fact that they so have 38 different persons of interest when uh-huh. before they went from one to three, well, one to two because they dropped the first one. And then they were like, that's it. Yeah, that's very disheartening. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sickening, really. And look how much time is lost. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah, exactly. Because could she, could she have still been alive had they checked those phone records? Had they checked those? I mean, and I, I, we don't know. We don't know for sure that she's not alive anymore. I just, I don't think that she is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So they ended up going back to the Ocean Club Resort, interviewing the staff. They talked to employees that were missed on the original investigation. I cannot believe anybody that worked there was not questioned initially because now we're several years after. And what's the turnover? You know, like what is the Mm -hmm. likelihood that there's people you're just never going to be able to talk to? 
But they found that the reservation book at the tapas restaurant was open for anyone to read. And the reservation that the quote unquote tapas seven made was set in stone. And they called ahead and said, we are going to be here every night at 830. And we are going to be leaving our sleeping children at our apartments unattended. And that was like written in the book. They might as well have written down, if you want to abduct a child, here's the room number. Yeah, exactly. Here's where you can go to do this. Because they said the reason they put that in there was because so that they could get a table where they could kind of see the apartment block. They wanted to be able to kind of keep an eye on it or whatever. Okay, then right in there, they want a table close to their apartment. Nobody needs to know why. Exactly. I was like, oh my gosh. There are reports of people saying that they saw suspicious looking men kind of watching that area, the McCann's apartment particularly. And this resort is surrounded by actual roads. Like all around it are roads that people can travel on. So it would be easy for a passerby to get into the complex, no problem. And there had been a string of burglaries in the complex. And First level apartments and corner apartments were the most vulnerable to those. The McCann's apartment was both. It was on the corner and it was on the first level. So there's reports of people, somebody watching this apartment. It would be very easy for somebody to pick up on their routine because Mm -hmm. they followed the same one every single day. We know that they're going to be at dinner at 8.30 every night and their door is going to be unlocked and their kids are going to be in there by themselves. It's a blueprint. Mm -hmm. So through their investigation, they end up finding the man that Jane Tanner saw. It was a guy who was picking up his kid from the kids club and he's like, yeah, that was me. I was picking up my kid. She was wearing a similar outfit. Like, that was just me. They also end up finding out that Jerry McCann could not have been the person that Martin Smith saw Because at the time that Martin Smith saw this person carrying a child, Jerry McCann was in the presence of multiple police officers. So the timing didn't line up. That all would have been such easy information to find out the day of the disappearance or the day after. Well, yeah. Why would you not have verified that shit? Guess who would have been able to verify that information? A fucking police officer. Exactly. I just, I don't understand. Like, no... There's just no questions. It's just like, okay, whatever, whatever, okay. I'm not I'm just not gonna check any of that. Like, well, no, because it doesn't fit his narrative. Like, there's no yeah. way. So much time was wasted. In October of 2015, funding for Operation Grange was significantly reduced. They went from having like 30 people on it to like three or four people on it. The public was just like, why are you dedicating so much of our, you know, money and resources to this one little girl? Like, it's sad that she's missing. There's tons of children missing. Like, if there's going to be a task force, it should be working on multiple cases, not just one. So they... I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand that too. I mean, obviously to the McCanns, you know, if it's your child, you you definitely want to hone in on it. But there are many, many unfortunately, missing children. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely understand. In June of 2020, UK and German police named a prime suspect, 43-year-old Christian Bruckner. 
At the time the police named him as a suspect, Bruckner, a German man, was serving a jail sentence for the rape of a 72-year-old woman. In 2005, Bruckner raped and tortured an elderly woman in her apartment for hours, beating her with a metal rod. The location of the apartment where she was attacked was in Praia de Luz, not far from the Ocean Club Resort where the McCanns had vacationed two years later. Bruckner videotaped the entire attack. At the time, the case went unsolved. Between the years of 1995 and 2017, Bruckner drifted between Praia de Luz and Germany, preying on tourists and breaking into holiday homes and hotels. Mark Hoffman, a Berlin-based crime and intelligence analyst who studied Bruckner, called him a serial offender and a psychopath. Also, side note, Mark Hoffman only calls him Christian B. He never calls him Bruckner and he never calls him Christian Bruckner. It's only Christian B. Yeah, I think I think it's because of because when I looked up some articles too, they also refer to him as Christian B. So I don't know if like legally in that area they're not really they won't release the full name until somebody's been like charged or whatever. Okay. Or convicted, but yeah, because the 60 Minutes Australia was like, fuck that, we're releasing his whole name, so I don't care. But he said his actions were all about violence and control. And a lot of people were like, okay, well, this can't be the same guy because his rape was of an elderly woman and Madeline is a three-year-old girl. And Hoffman is saying it actually makes perfect sense and they go hand in hand. He doesn't care He's he's about opportunity. A lot like Israel Keys. I was Israel, say Israel Keys, Keys was yeah, very much like, you know, when he talked about some of the victims that he chose, he was like, no, that's not my ideal. But it was who was available and it was who was there and when nobody else was around. Like that was my pickings for the day. Which yeah, sounds horrible. Like it is, but I think if you are that kind of person, you take what you can get. Yeah. And that's exactly what Bruckner does. He will just, whoever he feels is vulnerable is who he's going to go after. The age doesn't matter. I don't know if gender matters to him, but I certainly know that age doesn't matter. He's just going to take what he can get. Mm -hmm. So that 2005 rape went unsolved for many years. And in 2019, DNA evidence ended up leading to his conviction and he was put in jail. Until then, Praia Deluge police knew nothing of Bruckner and the danger he posed to the community. He had multiple charges of crimes against children in Germany and was a known sex offender. And during that time, Portugal didn't have a sex offender registry, and he was bouncing back and forth between Praia Deluge and Germany, but he wasn't listing himself as a resident in Portugal. So they literally didn't know about him at all. During the German police continued investigation into Bruckner, they found that his mobile phone was used in the immediate area of the Ocean Club Resort between 9 and 10 p.m. on the night of Madeline's disappearance. The following day, Bruckner deregistered one of two vehicles that he owned. Shortly after, he left Praia de Luz and returned to Germany. German prosecutor Christian Walters, the leader of the investigation into Christian Bruckner, said that there was very strong evidence that Madeline was dead. And he won't elaborate on that. It's still an ongoing investigation, but he just says, we have a lot of reason to believe that he is behind her disappearance and murder and that she is in fact now deceased. Some of the evidence that they did release about Bruckner was 
the time that he spent in some online chat rooms, he would talk about fantasies about holding and torturing a child. I think one of the quotes was, catch something little and use it for days, which Mm. is disgusting. He also says in one exchange, he's like chatting with somebody. It's so disturbing that there are enough people to have like these online communities and forums and stuff that want to participate in activities like this. But the the other person, I don't know who, you know, man, woman, whatever, says, you know, how's it going basically? And he says, not good with me. I really want to, I don't even want to say it, F a little girl. And he's like, oh, well, who doesn't want to do that? And it's like, oh God, like so How disgusting. Is this is real life. It's so awful. And he talked about wanting to turn the cellar of his cottage into a dungeon similar to the one that Joseph Fritzl used to hold his daughter. This is to see a case like Joseph Fritzl, any case, it doesn't matter. And be like, ooh, good idea. I want, I aspire to be that. Yeah. What it's, the fuck is it's horrific. Bruckner is potentially connected to some other disappearances too. One of a five-year-old German girl. She's never been found. One of a six-year-old boy in Portugal. He's not been charged with any of these things, but there's a lot of things that are connecting him to possible other murders, things that would kind of make it his MO to do whatever happened to Madeline. It's just, there's just very strong evidence. So he owned like some kind of deserted factory or something and he used it as a storage facility, basically. Yes, in this like isolated part of Germany. Yeah, they searched that too, and they found hard drives and USB ports buried in plastic bags underneath his dead dog. Like, he buried all that stuff and then put his dog on top of it. That is, I don't know why that really burns me up. Like, well, I have questions, and I think that it's valid. It might not matter, but did he kill the dog too? Right. the evidence? Did the dog die of natural causes? And he was like, oh, perfect. I'll just put this on top. Like, Yeah, that way if somebody digs it up, they're like, oh, it's just a dog. I mean, good thing they kept going. Like, Totally. There were thousands of pictures and videos found. Um, Investigators, again, they're not releasing everything that they found, but they did say that there were several swimsuits belonging to little girls inside his camper. That's disgusting. Yeah, that struck me in a bad way. I also cannot imagine... My first thought whenever whenever I heard that they found like... That, you know, hundreds, I think it was like thousands of, or maybe hundreds of videos that they recovered from those USB drives and whatever, hard drives, that they, whoever had to go through all of that and watch it, I would yeah. never want Mm-mm. that job. I could Absolutely never do not. that job. Yeah. Yeah. Like the people who had to watch all the stuff in like the Charles Ng and Leonard Lake case and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, there's like, and again, we talk about that ripple effect, like almost, I mean, every single episode because it's, you're not just affecting, like the victim is number one. Then you've got the people that loved the victim. You also have the people that have to investigate this and the juries and like all, there's just so many people affected by these actions that these awful people take. And and it's like lifetime therapy for people 
that are horrified and well then you've got the perpetrator and then their families and they're having to pick up the pieces for that yeah it's just absolutely it's just so so senseless at this point the police have been unable to formally charge Bruckner with Madeline's murder or kidnapping he's still in prison in Germany Kate and Jerry McCann are continuing to search for their daughter, and they do still harbor hope that Madeline will be found alive. And I think you just, you have to hold on to that. They still buy her presents for birthday and Christmas. You know, Kate's like, we have to think about how old she is and what's appropriate. And, you know, but they, I mean, she just says she's, she's still our daughter. She'll always be our daughter. And until we know otherwise, We're going to hope that she's alive. I hope to God that she is alive. I really, really do. I do too. It's If he did decide to create some sort of a dungeon somewhere and hold her, the fact that he's been in prison for how long now doesn't bode well because where Mm -hmm. is she? But but that was something that he wanted to do. Yes, exactly like the cell. And that was something that he wanted to do. So is it possible that she is somewhere? Yeah. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine. It's, it's awful. It is awful. Mm, but that's the case. I know. All the cases we've been doing lately. And again, I think we, we say this every time. We're always like, no, I don't like it. Yeah. It's we so never awful. leave being like, yeah, we nailed it. That was amazing. It's like they're always so, so sad. But yeah, lately I've been feeling really depressed by the time we're done with them. I know. It's awful. It's just like, why? Why do we have to? Why? Why do we have to? Have, why do, why we, do have we have this many stories? Yeah. Why do we have so much material that we could cover? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could never run out of it. It's awful. I've had guests of mine. They're like, do you ever think that you'll run out of material? And I was like, unfortunately, the answer is no, I don't. Exactly. It would be great if we did, but no, Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, I would actually like as much as us being able to do what we're doing and and being able to make this our living is, is incredible. I wish that we would be put out of a job. Mm -hmm. I'm sure police feel the same way. Exactly. Because that would mean that no more children are getting abducted. No more children are getting murdered. No more people are getting murdered. It's just, oh, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It is. It's awful. Unless we specifically did cases like two guys, one extra foot. Oh, man. That was a fun one. That was a really fun one. Yeah. I'd do that all day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was a, that was one of the funniest documentaries I think I've ever seen. Yes. That was a hell of a ride. Loved it. <laughs> It was. And it had a happy ending it did. for, well, I forget his name now, John Wood. I can't, honestly cannot remember. Because he got off drugs, thanks yes. to Judge Mathis. I do love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 